Hey, what's up? This is Vic Ruggiero from the Slackers, and you're listening to An Elegant Weapon. An Elegant Weapon is brought to you by Nemesis Studios. An Elegant Weapon for the more civilized age. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 228. My name is Jay, J.M. Clark, Jay the Jedi, Ross, Ross, Jedi, Jay. I'm so happy that all you beautiful babies are back here with me in the L5J studios because I have something super special and cool for you this week, kids. But before we get into that, I've got a little bit of an announcement. I am very, very proud to announce that An Elegant Weapon is now a proud member of Never Sleeps Network. That's right, Never Sleeps Network is a Toronto-based network of podcasts making some super cool, awesome shows that you all need to check out. Go to NeverSleepsNetwork.com. You will also find there our good friend Aaron Broverman and his show Speech Bubble. If you haven't heard Speech Bubble, you need to check it out. Aaron is a fantastic journalist. He does great interviews with some legendary Canadian comic creators, and you need to go hear those conversations because they are incredible. Uh, NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Go find Speech Bubble. Go find An Elegant Weapon and many, many cool other shows. So do that up. Thank you so much to NSN for letting us be part of the family gonna be good times make toronto pod kids good times indeed okay here we go this week's episode something very near and dear to my heart this is my third in a set of six if you are unaware of a band called the slackers that needs to change the slackers is a new york city ska band they've been around for about 25 years i believe they're into their 26th now last year was their 25th anniversary as a band we spoke with uh, a saxophonist Dave Hillier early in the year. We spoke with him from Lee's Palace. That was an awesome conversation. A little bit later in the year, we spoke with Glenn Pine. He's kind of the co-front man slash trombonist for the Slackers. Another very cool conversation. And we continue the trend with the guitarist for the Slackers. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Crazy bald head. Ladies and gentlemen, Agent Jay Nugent. Uh, Jay was awesome. Jay was super cool. Just as were Dave and Glenn, this whole band is a bunch of cool dudes. Uh, Yeah, so Jay was kind enough to sit down and spend an hour or so chatting with me about the history of the Slackers, his involvement with the Slackers, ska music in general, touring, writing, rehearsing, just just a whole bunch of awesome cool stuff. Uh, I am a little bit biased. This is my favorite band on the planet. These guys are the soundtrack of my life. Uh, 
been seeing these guys for many, many years, uh, many, many times, and I can't say enough cool, awesome things about the hardest working band in the world, the Slackers. So before I keep rambling on, because I'm just so excited and giddy about uh, getting another one of these guys on the show, especially someone as cool and conversational and is open to having a, a really cool chat as Jay was, and that is in fact what we did. So let me thank Jay. Uh, thank you, Jay, so much for sitting down, taking some time to chat with an Uber fan uh, on my Itty Bitty Podcast here. Uh, but here you go, kids. Please go check out the Slackers. They are on tour. They are coming to Toronto very, very soon. They are coming in April. You need to go see them. They're going to be playing in London and in Toronto at the Horseshoe Tavern. So please, uh, I give dates in the conversation. So you will hear them. Otherwise, you can go to theslackers.com, check out their tour dates, check out their website, check out their music. It is incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, my conversation with Agent J. Nugent. Okay, right on, man. So you enjoying your time off? Yeah, I mean, I'm busy. There's a lot of like studio work to do to finish up, so I'm like trying to knock that out. I'm, I'm clearing my plate nicely. Now I have to start on or finish some of my own stuff that I've kind of had sitting there for a while. So that's kind of, uh, you know, dogging me more than it should because it's like I have to be creative now. I can't just do work for a client, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you get to a point where you itch to get back out on the road since you guys spend so much time out there? Or is it you just yeah, relish I mean, the chance I mean, to... Well, I'm enjoying being home and just getting stuff done here, which I have I almost never have this kind of large of a block of time. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm itching to get back out there, itching to play some shows. You know, I've been really enjoying it. Um, just I, I do anyway, but since coming back from my injury and then even really just the past couple tours, I felt my playing getting better and just the band playing good. So that's been a good feeling, which I'm missing. That's uh, that's fine. So you're feeling good then? The injury's all healed up? That must have been frustrating. Yeah, not, it's not 100% healed, but it's, um, you know, largely more than uh, me and or my doctors thought I would get. <laughs> so <laughs> that's good. just putting in the extra time to practice and keeping my chops up and everything helps a lot. Right on. Yeah, you guys had a hell of a year. 25th anniversary of the band, yeah. amazing new album. It was a fun time. Yeah, um, a lot of good tours. Um, we did one. There was one weird tour in the middle of Europe that, in the middle of the summer, that was like a festival tour. That just we were on some weird festivals and not as many uh, that we wanted to be, and um, not the stages we wanted to be on. So that one was a little weird. But then we went back in November, and it was, you know, it was a great tour. It was like bunch of sellout shows packed out clubs it was really good just in general the tours have been really good right on you guys have had must have had some crazy adventures over the years like you guys have played like everywhere at this point yeah not everywhere there's definitely a few spots that i know bands go to you know maybe not a lot of bands but a couple that we're trying to get to that just the promoters are flaky or you know they just can't get the budget together those kind of things but um you know there's been a bunch of places um, but there's a few more to cross off that, uh, you know, as far as gigs, you know, that are doable, you know, right, right. gotten there yet. Right on. So you joined the band, what, permanently in like 2005 is when you kind of, uh, 2004, 2004, I guess, you know, the 
from August 2004, you know, six months on, I was sort of, you know, on probation or they were going to see what TJ was going to do if he was going to come back. And I guess he didn't. So really, you could say by the beginning of 2005 is when I was like officially a full time member. You know? Right on. But you've you've been uh, you've been a fixture on the ska scene in New York for far long before that. Did you know like Vic back in the sick and mad days and stuff? Oh, uh, um, not really. I met Vic in '93 um, when uh, I got you know drawn into this band by um, this girl Dania Best, who was a singer. She was like a backup singer in the Slackers for a minute, and she started her own band. And so I started playing with her and then through her, we used to play with the slackers. So that's how I met Vic and, um, you know, a play around. I first sat in with them in 94, this bar gig in the Lower East Side. And I think I was playing Melodica, you know, so first gig with them. Yeah, it was a long time ago and I wasn't even playing guitar. I mean, I was playing guitar, but not in the band. Uh, like, cause you started doing crazy bald head stuff early, like, like, Uh, 97 yeah but you know it was it was a studio thing i think we did maybe one or two gigs 90 maybe at version city or something like that and then maybe a couple more in the early 2000s but i never really had a permanent lineup together and and didn't have a full-time singer so it was just really hard to do which it still is you know there's still no regular singer which is really tough Right, right. Well, at least you get the chance to bring in a lot of cool people to like help out and collaborate. For, and... for the studio, you know, it's great. A lot of people are into it, but I'd, I, I want to do more live stuff with the band because um, it's possible and there's a scene for it. And I'm getting good offers to do shows, so it's just I, I just got to get a full time band together, which is tougher than it sounds. Right on. Um, I first saw the Slackers. It was it was back in 2000. And a buddy came over to my house and it was like one of those moments he put on have the time and it was just totally one of those like, like in love at first listen situations where I was like, who is this band? Where have they been all my life? Oh my God. Right. So we went out, uh, me and a bunch of friends and we saw them at a little bar in Guelph, Ontario called the trash. Yep. And uh, this was like 2001, I guess. And yep. it, those shows were legendary there. Oh my gosh! It felt vinyl, yeah. Yeah, it felt like there was like 15 of them on stage at one point when I first saw them. Like, because you know the bands, the lineup then had a few more members. And what an experience! Like the the live shows from then. And as we said, you you know you joined more permanently in 2004. The band went through some shifts and stuff like that. Um, the progression of the band since then has been amazing. And after talking to Glenn and Dave, I realized what I thought was kind of a natural evolution seems to have had more of a conscious effort as far as bringing in more soul and uh, more of a fuller sound with lesser musicians in a way. Was this, you know, was this a conscious thing? You guys all kind of worked uh-huh. on together? Or, like with Glenn stepping up to the front, things got a lot more uh, Motown-y in a way, you know? Yeah, well, you know, with... Q-Max leaving the band, there was kind of a void because Glenn had a couple of tunes that he sang lead on, but, you know, there was a couple, and he was mostly a backup singer, and a trombone player was his main thing. Um, but, you know, with Q-Max leaving, it was like, that opened the door because Glenn is totally a, a good front man and singer in his own right, so it kind of opened up the floor. I remember it took a good couple of years before he really became, like, the counterpart to Vic, um, and, and, you know, kind of... St- stepped out of the shadow a bit and like started 
bringing more songs in and I guess the crowd was noticing him more because he was front and center and, you know, he was getting more mic time that people were noticing his tunes and wanting to hear them. So, you know, um, and as far as just the band being more stripped down, it's just over the years, people have left the band and the band used to be nine or 10 pieces, you know, especially for the New York shows. And it's just people left and they just weren't replaced. And, and the band just got more economical instrumentation wise. So, you know, no percussion player, no trumpet player, no, you know, second mm. lead vocalist. Um, and so, yeah, it's maybe a smaller sound, but I don't know. Maybe it isn't, though. No, that's what I'm saying. That's the cool thing is that even though the band stripped down a bit, the sound has indeed gotten fuller. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm. back in the early days, the first few albums of the band were, you know, a very, very, you know, original hardcore take on ska. You know, there were some other influences in there, but it was a straight up dirty Jamaican rock and roll kind of Kingston sound. Right. And as have things have progressed, and I guess maybe the band is you know, gotten closer with the members that are there and guys have grown up a little. It just, it seems to get fuller and just more in depth. Yeah. I think just more confidence playing and the keeping one lineup for so long has like locked the band in. And so people can play, you know, even if we're playing soft, play more intensely. Um, I think that's a thing the band has that we can get loud and get quiet, but still play with intensity. You know, if we're, if we're dialed in and everyone's focused, um, that's something that a lot of bands, you know, either they play just, just loud or if they play soft, they kind of lose intensity. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause I've seen that. I've seen you guys, especially Vic get more and more relaxed over the years where he's so comfortable on stage now. And Glenn just born to be a front man. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a function of the this lineup of the band being together um, and really just putting the time in, mixing up the set, having it so, like, the band is just pretty tight, you know? It's like, oh, yes. Always more, you know, we can always get tighter and always put in more work, but, um, you know, we've just done it so much and we mix it up so it's not just the same couple tunes. And if we're playing a tune we haven't played in a while, it's like, oh, but we've still played it a bit so we can make it happen, you know? For sure. Um, when you guys, what do you prefer? Do you prefer the writing and recording process or you prefer being out there on stage? Um, it's hard to say. I overall, you know, prefer performing. Um, I just like doing, it's just fun playing this music and playing guitar in general and the fans are cool and we go to great places. And I just like that 90 minutes of my life every night, you know, ideally it's just fun where I could just, that's who I am. You know, I could just play guitar and play this music. Um, but I do love the writing and recording side of things. It definitely with the slackers can work at like a glacial pace to get everybody <laughs> in there and, and writing and learning and getting together to, to really work something out, not simply learn the chords and learn the changes, but really work a tune inside and out it will take months, um, you know, recording, then doing overdubs, then mixing, so it's it can be a bit laborious, um, but I like doing it, you know, and that's I think it's an important thing why people have side projects is because if you have just some tunes in your head that the band isn't ready to work on, you could just go do it yourself with your own little thing and do it on my own time and I'll drag my heels enough on my own. But at least I can make decisions I want to make and decide that I'm going to finish something, you know. Right, right, right. Especially with it. Well, you got a band. It's amazing because you got a band like the Slackers with such a pro prolific catalog. Like it's huge. And 
then you guys are all off doing your own stuff. You come back, you take a break from Slacker's tour. Dave goes out with the seven and, you know, you've got all these bands coming in that you're helping out. And it's, it's crazy that this much flows out of you guys. Like I'm not a musician. I, I love music. I appreciate, you know, I did a little musical theater growing up and all that kind of stuff, but I don't play an instrument, but mm-hmm. uh, to me, it's just like, it's insane that that much can come out of you guys. Like, where does it come from? Where do you find inspiration? Um, you know, there's two different ways. There's, you know, sometimes I'll have an idea or kind of a beat in my head or something like the type of tune I want to write and I'll kind of sit down methodically and write it, you know, almost manufacture it and put the pieces together like, you know, I'm following like a how-to manual or something. Okay. But I think the best things, if, you know, if I've ever written anything great, which I'm not sure, I think I've written a couple of good things, but the best things I've written, I don't so much write as I write down. I just hear them in my head. And it's almost like there's a radio station playing in my head. And I really just kind of write down the chords that I hear. And I write down the words that I hear. That's amazing, man. When did, when did music start for you? When did you get in? When did you start learning guitar? I played guitar when I was a little kid. And so I would see him and I, I started trying to learn, like I think in fourth grade, they were teaching lessons at school and I didn't, um, just didn't have the patience for it and whatever. And earlier when I was a little kid, my dad tried to show me on a, you know, a little guitar, but, uh, you know, didn't have the patience. And finally when I was 14, I like picked it up and kind of stuck to it, although I didn't really, you know, get any schooling in it and, you know, kind of played a lot of generic kind of rock guitar at home. So it, you know, it's been a long process. The best things for me learning have been learning from non guitar players, learning from horn players, learning from drummers and learning like the language and learning about music in general. And just rather than just playing guitar and being another like rock guitar player, like there were a zillion of in the eighties or, you know, early nineties. So it's just like, um, playing with different kinds of people was the best education, different kinds of musicians. Right on, right on. Because you discovered the right ska early, it seems, you know, in your career. Because back in the 90s, I was a teenager back in the 90s, and, you know, I loved ska music. I I was a reggae freak, and I liked ska music, but I hadn't ever been exposed to anything much more than, say, like the specials and, uh, you know, certain things like that. A little bit of the old stuff, Desmond Decker and stuff, but... You know, nothing, I, I never realized there was a more modern kind of third wave going on or fourth wave or whatever wave you choose to call what this one has been riding out for a decade now. Where did you come into ska to, to find that stuff? Cause all I could ever find was the pop punk ska stuff mm-hmm. going on, you know? So where did, where did you discover this whole ska thing? I remember when, um, in 1990, mid-1990, a friend brought me to what was supposed to be a toaster show, but they ended up bailing on the gig. And my friend was like, we were into punk and we'd go to punk shows. And um, he was like, oh, this is a ska show. You know, it's like kind of related. Like, you should check this out. You'll like this. And I was like, what is ska? I've like heard that word. What is it? And he just goes, oh, you know, Fishbone? And I was like, yeah, I have, you know, a Fishbone record. Like, I like that. Like, that's ska. And I was like, oh, so I was already into Fishbone, but I had no idea that was ska. I guess the record I had, like Truth and Soul, they never once, I don't think, mentioned the word ska on that record. Right. Um, but I, so I knew it and kind of discovered that, that New York City ska, which the first band I saw was the New York Citizens. They ended up filling in for the toasters. But then I would see Mephiscopheles, 
Um, what were the, some of the other bands? The wow. Wounds were playing. Skinner Box was Django's band before I knew him. So those were the bands that were around. So I would see them. I'd be into this. But I was more into reggae, but I didn't hadn't discovered enough of it. And then discovered Rocksteady by my late teens, early 20s. And so when I would hear like Scatolites and Prince Buster, I kind of liked it because it was Jamaican. But I was like, it's not as like groovy and chunky as like reggae and rock steady like i wish right. they'd slow it down and and really emphasize the skank more so it took me actually a long time to really get into a lot of jamaican ska and it wasn't till like i discovered like the don drummond like the minor key and and like modal stuff that he would be playing the like really dark kind of like dread early ska that i liked um some of the stuff I found like, oh, this is kind of elevator music. This is like swingy elevator music. I'm not really into this, you know. Um, and third wave and two tone, it took me a long time to, I never really got into third wave besides maybe fishbone and stuff like that. Um, but it took me really to the late nineties to kind of get two tone. Okay. And it was playing like going around opening for the specials and it suddenly clicked like, oh yeah, they're not trying to play authentic. You know, by then we had become purists and kind of snobs about trad ska and rock steady. <laughs> right. Finally hearing the specials and I was like, oh yeah. And it was only a couple of the original guys left in the band, but I was like, that's right. They're not trying to be an authentic band. They're taking what they hear and, but they're, you know, they're British kids from like rundown working class cities, you know, or like Coventry or whatever. Yeah, Coventry. Totally. And stuff like that. And it's like, oh, that's what that sound is. They're actually doing their own sound. And that's when I really was like, it started to click for me and it's still something that's clicking. That's like, we have to do our own thing. You know, we can't, we love that sound, the 60s, 70s, like rock steady, reggae, all that stuff. But the, you know, those days are over. And right, right. Learn the lessons and have it sonically nice. Um, and do a lot of the tickle the ear in a lot of the same way, but you have to write about your own experience. You have to play your instruments with your own experience. Oh, that's so evident, too. That's the perfect explanation of how your band is gone. I mean, where the slackers have got to now, especially the the new album. It's it's uh, I can't remember if it was Dave or Glenn who said this, but one of them said that it's basically just a big giant celebration of the past 25 years. And that's totally what it feels like. It feels like you guys just were like, let's just let loose and see what comes out. And it totally did, you know? Huh. Yeah, I haven't heard that. I um, I guess when we were making it, we'd started around 2014, 2000, maybe late 2013, because we tracked stuff over like a year and a half period. We did like three different sessions for this record, you know, cutting about four tracks each. And so it was a long time coming. So when we were working on it, we weren't really thinking like, oh, this is going to be our 25th anniversary record. Okay. At least it wasn't a conscious thing. And it wasn't a conscious thing to call the record The Slackers, like an eponymous um, release. So that's just, that was really like an afterthought. And it's strange. This record really took on, even though with three different producers, it just the, the material that everyone kind of brought in, um, even though it's musically can be all over the map but um thematically and lyrically like people are really on the same page and a lot of people if you check the lyrics you'll you'll think certain songs are written by the same people and they're not um so it's felt, just this unified kind of vibe going on yeah i think so yeah 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 um, maybe i'm just seeing it that way because i want to see it that way in my head it's all one thing but uh who knows 
Right, right. Well, that's what's so cool about having talked to you know a few of you guys here and there is that you are all such individuals. Like you've all got your own influences and your own likes, and it all just melds so beautifully into the slaggers, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad. I think I've been in that band, and I've been the guy in the band where you know, or one of them, where like you know, you're a young guy in a band, and everybody's suddenly discovering all this different music in you know your late teens or your early twenties. So people are writing stuff all over the map. One guy's getting into like fusion, and one guy's getting into like hardcore, and one guy's getting into you know roots reggae, and so everyone brings in these drastically different tunes, and they just don't work with the band. I think we've been playing long enough where even if we're listening to that kind of stuff, and even if that stuff is creeping into the music, I think we know how to write for the band, and I think the band knows how to play different right. styles of music as the slackers right 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 would you even still call the slackers a ska band like if you had to describe yeah them? i mean yeah. you know the reality is we like to think i know some people in the band would get mad or bummed out you know i don't think that's all we are but we most definitely are you know strong in that genre that is the bread and butter of what we do so right. You know, it's not unfair, and I don't think it's categorizing us incorrectly. Well, we don't want to just be thought of as a ska band, but that's most definitely our bread and butter. Right, right. Well, you're so full now; it's it's difficult. Like people, like when I try to describe, I'm like, yeah, it's a ska band, band, but there's so much more. There's so much more soul at times. There's more Motown at times. Sometimes it's even very jazzy. You know, like certain tunes of Vicks mm. are very, very smooth, and they've got that like film noir kind of aspect right. to them. You know, and I think like any style of music, um, you need to have stories to tell and you need, you know, a front person. You need a really not just a good front person that's charismatic and has stage presence. But, you know, if your band has a story to tell or stories to tell, that's the thing that can transcend the, the particular genre you happen to be in. Um and, you know, like anything, it doesn't matter what the beat is. Really, your song is the lyrics and the melody. If you're writing good melodies and lyrics, you should be able to play the song any different style. What, uh, you know, kind of depresses me about genre bands or that I notice, and I've fallen into this trap, too. You can just write for that genre and just, okay, as long as it has this beat and we put in these few necessary ingredients, or these cliches, then it's acceptable within this genre. But, you know a lot of tunes that you just almost can't play outside their genre. They just don't make sense. They're just not good on paper. Right, right. Yeah, some stuff it just yeah, I totally get what you're saying. That's maybe a band like say like Sublime, you know what I mean? A band that took so many different types of music and he right. had, you know, Bradley had crazy stories to tell right. and you can't it is so hard to peg that band into one genre. Yeah. You know, that, you could easily like I don't have any Sublime records, but obviously doing shows I've heard them forever you know, at gigs, and they're one of those bands, like, stripped-down band, they're obviously, like, reggae is a huge influence, and, you know, the funk elements, stuff like that is in there, but they obviously, speaking of, like, what I was saying about Two-Tone and what they were doing, the reason I think Sublime was successful, not only could they play good and they, you know, their stuff is danceable and very listenable, but they totally told the story of that like Southern California, you know, growing yeah. kind of life. And so many people identified with that, that they just struck a chord for lack of a better phrase. Like people just got it. They were like, yes, these guys are telling my story. And that's, you know, that's I think the key to their success. They tapped into what so many people were thinking. 
Yeah, I think that's what happened with me and the Slackers, to be honest. I mean, it's been so long now. I mean, the Slackers have been with, it's been the soundtrack of my life through, you know, my, the birth of my kids, a divorce, yeah. a marriage, you know, just, right, well. just growing up, you know, so it's, it, it's so cool. It, it's frustrating. Like everybody's got that band who, you know, when you're drunk at a party, you just can't understand why all these other people aren't so insanely in love with this right. band. You know what I mean? Like, that's the slackers. Just, you know, like me. anything, it's the right time. Your your eyes or ears have to be exposed to something at the right time, and it just suddenly makes sense. Think about foods you've tried a bunch of times, but you try them in the right place, and you're just suddenly like, oh, yeah, I get this now. You know, yeah. it could be the right environment. Um, I think that that has a lot to do with how we listen. Right, right. Uh, well, uh, I just want to jump back to something you mentioned a few minutes ago, and that was opening for the specials. Right. Um, that, do tell, please, because that must have been, I saw them when they started, uh, they went back on the reunion tour back in right. like, 2010 or whatever it was. Yeah. And oh my God, yeah. what, what, it, actually, to be honest, uh, the week before in Toronto, I had paid $80 to go see Sublime with Rome. Right. And not to get all negative or anything, but it, it, it didn't really feel right, you know, especially right. for that kind of price. It was just, it wasn't the experience that, you know, you kind of hope for. Right. You know, that, that whole thing's passed. A week later, I went to see the slackers, or sorry, the specials for like 25 bucks at the docks. Right. And it was like the greatest show I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, we first opened for them, I'm trying to think. Um, I was in the Stubborn All-Stars, so I think it was 99, and we did a U.S., little run down the east coast i think maybe as far as a couple of dates um mid you know like mid east coast and down to like georgia maybe like to atlanta or something like that um which was cool like just those guys are doing their thing and they were they had some record they had put out that you know the label owned it and owned their merch and owned everything so they were touring for pretty much like break even money like we we as the opening band were coming home with more money than they were and we weren't coming home with a lot of money um and then it was we played with a few um like uk bands that uh sean flower do over there who used to play in the special beat i think um he would have bands like he had uh this band starlight junkies which were kind of like a brit pop ish ska kind of thing and also around 2000, we were over in the UK playing with them with Stubborn All-Stars, and Roddy Radiation was in that band, so we would talk to him, because we were playing pub gigs and whatever, so we talked to him for a bit, it was cool. Then 2008, we're playing um, also in the UK with this band, Pama International, also a Sean Flower Dew band, and who's subbing in that band, but is uh, Linville Golding. So we talked to him, and he was like, Hey man, I'm getting the band back together. I'm getting the specials back. We're like, yeah, sure, whatever, man. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm getting Jerry and Terry, and we're gonna do it. And you know, and they couldn't get you know Jerry on board, but they did it. We finally opened for them um, in Millennium Square in Leeds, which is about 20 minutes from Coventry. Wow. Um, and it, it's about that close. Yeah, it's it's close to Coventry, so it was almost their backyard in front of maybe like 10,000 people. We weren't direct support. We opened. We got on the bill last minute because we had another gig that day but uh to see them and they had just rebanded like barely a month earlier and so it was like this experience of just seeing that full band except for jerry but uh in front of like ten thousand people like pretty much in their backyard was incredible wow what's the uh yeah sorry go on no 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 that was it that's uh that's got to be a crazy experience when you get to you know play on the shows with these people that influenced you to do it in the first place i mean Mm. 
you know, it's 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 crazy. What 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 would you say is uh, the biggest audience you guys have ever played for? Um, I'm trying to think. It, it's probably it's got to be a festival crowd, and I think it was somewhere, and I don't think we were headlining, but um, some European one. I think we figured out it was somewhere around twenty something thousand or something like that. I forget what the gig was, but the largest. Largest audience we headlined in front of was at Fusion Fest, I think two years ago, and we fairly accurately between all of us doing it, and people do, have been doing this for decades, figured the crowd somewhere around eight thousand people. So that I'll say that as far as because that's the one I can remember, and that show we headlined. So I would say it's it's right about eight thousand. Wow, it's got to be a crazy experience. <laughs> it's you know. <laughs> going, we've all played that gig in front of eight people, so it's not yeah. in front of eight thousand. Does that still happen ever? Do you ever go to well, some place that you haven't been? Every once in a blue, we did. Um, we just did, not just did. This was also two, three years ago. We did a little run of the Canadian Midwest mm-hmm. um, from Winnipeg out to Alberta, and Winnipeg. We came in, never played there before. It was a Wednesday. It was great. It was like three hundred people. Really good show. I think sold out for whatever venue it was. Great, awesome. Next night was west of there, somewhere in Manitoba. Brandon, man, is that a place? I'm too far to know. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, and it was like the next three shows were like was like there, someplace in Manitoba, and then it was like Regina and Saskatoon. And the next three nights, it was like just at these university bars, you know, that they have on campus, and just barely maybe 15 people in a row or so you know each night was <laughs> wow. like any one of those gigs would have been like the worst just about the worst attended gig we've ever played but then have three of them in a row we were like what the fuck <laughs> and then we got to like banff and that was great and you know uh calgary was great edmonton two days was great so it's definitely the people are there it's just we tried doing this run and tried to build something up in that kind of saskatchewan manitoba area yeah and the prairies and there, yeah. was a dud so oh man they happen every now and then oh you silly bastards out there out in the midwest there what and are you doing like the next day like a place we literally haven't gone as a band in like 10 or 12 years and like the next day or the next week somebody's like Hey, when are you guys coming out to Regina? And we're like, are you fucking kidding? <laughs> we haven't been there 12 years. We were there last week and you didn't come. And the guy was like, oh yeah, I, uh, I had to babysit or I had to do, you know, we're like, sorry, dude, we're not going to be back, you know, for another decade. I hate to break it to you. Right. See, I, I learned a serious lesson. I went to Edinburgh in Scotland uh, right. a bunch of years back and it was just a vacation and me and the wife went down. And we spent the week there. And on the second last day, uh, we totally backpacked it. Like we stayed in a hostel in the market there and stuff. Right. And we're in the common room just using the computer on the second last day. And I notice a flyer on the wall that says the slackers and the pie tasters are yep. playing the week yep. after. Yeah, that was with Palma International. Yeah, oh, totally. I, I could not believe it. I was like instantly, I was like, how can I stay? Will my boss right. let me stay? Can I stay next week? So that was a weird tour because that was another one of those tours. We tried to, they, they tried to do like a triple bill and basically each night a different band would headline like us, the pie tasters, Palma International. And by about halfway into this 10 day run, we had sort of been crushing it so hard that they basically made the lineup like Palma International, Pie Tasters, then us headlining. But I remember that gig, we played with Mungo's Hi-Fi in Edinburgh, and it was like probably the worst one. I think there was like 
if I if there was fifty people, I think that was too much because they made the ticket price too high. They made it like a twenty five pound gig or something like that, oh, which wow. a lot of people were just like, they're not going to bother. Right, right. Oh man, I would have been there and enjoyed it. I couldn't. Believe. So now, whenever I go anywhere, I check first to see if the slackers are playing anywhere right. nearby. Yeah, yeah. there you go. You know, you don't want to miss that stuff. Yeah. It was a weird twenty fifth year because it was. I mean, it was your twenty fifth anniversary, and the last time you played Lee's Palace there. Right. Uh, was my 25th Slacker show. Oh, wow. And that was uh, when? Like March or something? It was, it was a while. It was, it was winter. Um, cause that's when I talked to Dave. Cause, uh, we, I talked to him in the, in the green room there. Right. But, but yeah, it was oh, over a year, I guess about a year ago, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Cause... Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was great times, but it was just weird how it just turned out to be my 25th uh, show. Because the great yeah. thing is whenever you guys come to this area, it's like a mini tour because you don't just yeah. hit Toronto, you hit Guelph, you hit London and it's yeah, awesome. Totally. So if, if you're there, you could catch a couple of shows and we know that. So we mix up the set, you know, I had, uh, speaking of the trash, one of the times I saw you guys at the trash, uh, I'm standing by the merch table and Vic comes in and he looks a little worried. Uh, he's kind of rubbing his head and he's like, Oh man. I'm like, everything okay, Vic? I don't know him. This is the first time I ever spoke right. to him. I just happened to be standing there. But I'm like, everything okay, Vic? And he's like, man, I forgot to do a set list. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, man, what should I play? And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, play this, play this, play this, yeah. play this. And he went up on stage. He tipped his hat to me and did the entire set list. Yeah. And no, so I mean, that's, what kind of dream come true is know, that? You know? you know, you just check with people and we definitely like, we, we, he's been taking requests. We worked that into the set the last year or two years or so of like basically at least one or two request slots in the regular set. And then usually a couple in encores because right. it's fun. It keeps the band, you know, on our toes. And it's also like, oh, what do people, you know, like people, they have certain tunes that everyone requests, you know, that are slacker favorites. But a lot of times people have that deep cut that means a lot to them or that we've never played in that town. And so it's good to hear that. Right, know? right. Um, the phones come out now, too. At the last few Toronto shows, oh, least, yeah. the phones come out. up. And he's, cool. been, he's been pretty good about that. He hasn't had a lot of problems. But, um, yeah, sometimes it, uh, you know, every now and then just the bass or something can be just hitting them the wrong way where um, – he needs some uh, protection. No, as far as uh, people making requests. Oh, I see. What you know said. what I mean? He'll be like, what do you want to play? And everybody will type it on their phone and oh, hold it up. Oh, and, oh, yeah, oh, I thought, like his headphone uh, things that he like maybe once or twice a year wears. But I could see at Lee's Palace wearing them. It gets a little loud there. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, this was just people holding up their cell phones and had actually oh, right. typed on what they wanted to see. Oh. So he just got a good look. And actually, one of the shows I had typed to make me smile. And uh, he was like, right on, you guys played that. Yeah, that's a band favorite. So we like when people request that. And oh. it's, one, it's ones we hadn't done a lot and started doing regularly. Oh, what a good, good tune. What are some of your favorite songs to play? Um, Fried Chicken. I like, uh, let's see. Um, we've been bringing back some of the oldies, like the, the kind of rock steady reggae version of Feed My Girl um and like motor city has kind of a kooky chord changes that i get a solo over so it's kind of a challenge for me to do it but i've been enjoying doing that um some of the newer ones truth comes knocking at your door uh chewing on a face like 
where I can get, you know, I'm not like a person that wants to do a bunch of solos and stuff like that, but if I have like an interesting guitar part, sure. I, I like when tunes have like something for me to do besides just skanking away, you know, not necessarily a solo, but if there's some, you know, accompanying parts, I like doing stuff like that. Well, that's one thing about ska. It's almost like the guitar takes over for the backbeat over the drums and then the horns kind of bring in like the melodies and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, okay. you, you, it's kind of your job to be keeping things moving. Yeah. Yeah. It can get a little, um, you know, it can get static and I don't mind doing that. Um, it, it needs it definitely when I'm not there, the band tells me like, you know, that when I missed six months of gigs, when I was injured, the only time I ever missed gigs, they were like, you got to get back here. <laughs> like, right. you know, it's part of the beat. It's not, you can't just play over the drums. You got to lock in and like, it has to be like a freight train, you know? Well, you always <laughs> seem to be in the most deepest concentration of the band. You always seem to be really focused on, on what's well, happening. Just, uh, you know, pretty much the least engagement with the audience, you know, or, you know, Ara is back there doing his own thing, but I think me and him, you know, mm -hmm. Marcus seems to be very outgoing, you know. Marcus's smile. Who's and, and <laughs> you know. Does Marcus's smile ever go away? Oh, yeah, it does. It does. Uh, <laughs> uh, you just got to catch him on a night, or, you know, he's cranky about something like any of us. Um, right, right. Just that. But I, you know, I can, I can kind of stare off into space and just kind of enjoy the kind of zen of just playing a very simple guitar part and just really locking into the beat as much as i can mm -hmm. do you uh do you enjoy playing sarah yeah um it's i wouldn't i mean we play it a lot but because of that vic doesn't want to play it all the time so we don't necessarily for a long time we kind of do wouldn't do it at all i enjoy playing it just because it's one of those things that has little, there's just little things to it, like what you're, you know, what I was saying before about having some slightly different parts than what I normally play. So I, I like trying, I'm still, it's weird after years and years of playing that tune, I'm still figuring it out. You know, it's like I know the parts and everything, but I'm still figuring out better ways to kind of finger it and do the moves and to get it really? close to the record and, and just close to locking in with what the band is doing and just trying to get it sounding better all the time. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I love that tune. That's probably in my top three to five Slackers tunes. Just such a, such an amazing, uh, song. I, uh, I watched a video recently, um, from a while ago of you and Vic interviewing each other. Um, do you remember? Oh, this? yeah, wow. Yeah, I think, uh, long, yeah. It was on like Wadevsky or something like that. And, uh, mm -hmm. that was enjoyable because, uh, you know, I was just, I was, not that I don't know the band and know who you are, but I was trying to just, you know, watch a few videos here and there and get a feel for talking to you and stuff. And, uh, you know, that seemed like a lot of fun. Outside of being in the band, and of course you're tight and of course you're family, but, you know, are, do you guys do stuff together, uh, like, non-musically? Do you guys ever go hang out and bowl or see a movie? Or there, you know, it's, um, you know, every now and then I'll see Dave, but it's really, like, me and Marcus don't barbecues on his roof. Or we'll meet up, you know, if a friend's band is in town, it's common that me and he and I will run into each other there because he'll go out and say hi to people and, and us too. And we'll go to their barbecues or we'll go get pizza at this place over here, this good place um, here in Brooklyn called Sam's. We'll all meet up over there. So I see Marcus a bit. I see Glenn every now and then when he was spending more time in Brooklyn. Now he's he's out in California more. Uh, uh, 
um, who mostly like to do sax parts for me for my own music. So I do see Dave in the off season, you know, or, or like off the road. But um, now nah, I haven't gotten together too much. That's, that's one thing we've we've talked about for years is like let's get together as a band and just go get some food. Oh. band shit. No one will be cranky from the road. You can just fucking hang, eat some good food, or and well, think I'm starting or whatever. Oh, sorry, I was losing you there for a sec. Can you hear me? Uh, yep. All right, cool, cool. Yeah, the connection seems to be uh, getting a little fuzzy there. But, uh, you know, we'll we'll wrap this uh, up a bit. I know you got food cooking and stuff, and uh, you got the Far East coming in, and uh, you guys jamming it up, recording and stuff? Or? I'm just trying to finish a mix that uh, we're close to. You know, it's we're really fine-tuning stuff, and I think they're unsure as a band. They're They're all you know, pulling different ways on, on just the last little levels and things. So I think they want to come over here and just kind of hear what I'm hearing. And, you know, Matt and Maddie will put the final say on it as to where they want things to sit. Very, very nice. Uh, that's exciting. You guys have brought so many cool bands uh, throughout the years, too. It's uh, it's always fun to see who's going to open up for you guys. And uh, we'll be able to see who's opening up for you because you guys uh, are coming in April, April 6th. You guys are going to be in London at the yeah. London Music Hall. And April 8th, you yeah. guys are going to be here in T.O. at the legendary Horseshoe Tavern. Yeah. And it's fun when you guys come to T.O. because you don't always play the same spot. I mean, I mean, Lee's and stuff, you've played a bunch of times, but right. I've seen you guys at well, the Mod Club. The- and- yeah. I'm trying to think if we ever played the Horseshoe. I think we have played it years and years ago. But then we would play the Elmo, obviously Lee's Palace. You did play the Horseshoe probably. I think there have been some other weeks. Yeah, it was like six or seven years ago maybe that you played. But uh, you're familiar with the lore of the Horseshoe Tavern? Uh, no. Maybe it's, I... Uh, it's told. probably just the just most legendary bar in Toronto. Uh, Toronto's music right. history as far as... Uh, Elvis, the Stones, you know, right. uh, you know, they they've, a rush gig in there in the early days or yeah, something. Yeah, they've all know. they've all been through there, you know. It's uh, it's definitely mm. the spot, so it's a pretty cool place to have played in the T dot. You enjoy playing Toronto, yeah? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, this town definitely loves you guys. So uh, it's never. It's ne- one of those towns I like. Want to check out more? We've been there a bunch, but it's hard to get a feel for the town. Like as a whole, you know, it's like we're usually down on Queen Street or something. We'll walk up Spadina, like there's some great Chinese food over there. Even on Queen, there's some good record stores. You can get some good curry over there, some other kind of stuff. So it's a good town, but it's like I need to check it out more. You know, there's so much to it and it's a big town. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's lots of cool little hidden spots that I know you'd love. Uh, Kensington Market and, you know, tons of cool stuff. So hopefully sometime... uh you have to book like an extra day here or something and take a yeah. little tour around, you know? So, uh, yeah. uh, Jay, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out. Um, Thanks, you know, uh, 80% of this show is, uh, comic book geeks and, uh, Star right. Wars freaks. And, uh, you know, once in a while, I, you know, I, that's not my mantra. I talk to whoever I enjoy talking to and kids out there just know that, uh, you know, this is number three in a set of six that I'm going to absolutely do my best to collect, uh, collect the whole team. And, uh, I think that's right, right? There's six of you right yep. now? Yeah. Six of us. 
And, uh, guys, this is the most hardworking band in the world. Uh, this is the most consistent band in the world. That's one thing. I mean, how many albums do you guys have and not a single miss, like not a single piece of filler in any I of wish, these albums? I wish everybody felt that way. You know, I, I definitely think of stuff I've written that I'm like, oh, I could have done better with this. I could have, or I should have stuck to my idea with this and put a, put my foot down and not let it get too complicated. But I'm glad you think there's no filler because I definitely think I've probably supplied some filler. Uh, well, you guys are often too hard on yourselves as musicians. So, uh, we'll just chalk it up to that. <laughs> um, cause, uh, you guys are it for me, uh, greatest band in the world. And Jay, I can't appreciate, so uh, Hey, I can't tell you how much I appreciate, uh, the touring, uh, the constant music and taking the time to chat with us. So, uh, everybody get out there, please, please see the slackers live because not only are the albums amazing, but this is one of the most entertaining live bands you will ever, ever see. It's, uh, it's quite a thing to witness. So, uh, uh, everybody, get out there, check it out. Jay, thank you so much, sir. Thanks so much, man. Hey, kids, that is all we are going to have this week on An Elegant Weapon. Take it easy.